Welcome to Localize the World. Today, we'll be interviewing David Moore. David Moore is a graduate school professor and doting dad with a passion for language, technology, and culture, particularly internationalization and typographic support. His specialty, drawn from over 20 years of internationalization work at Adobe, has been in bringing software applications to European and Middle Eastern markets with an eye for cultural relevancy. He's fluent in four languages, English, Spanish, German, and French, and familiar with at least 10 more in addition to some passing experience with seven writing systems. David teaches several classes that center on having global audiences in mind one on designing for internationalization and culture, another on software internationalization, and two programming classes. David currently lives in breezy Monterey, California, with his husband and two adorable children. Let's welcome David Moore. All right, well, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast today, David. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Friday. Awesome. It's Friday. If you hear so, any screams, that's my daughter who I specifically told do not interrupt, but that means 50-50 chance there's going to be a cricket or a mouse or a, a butterfly or something that I just have to see. Okay. Butterflies are fine. Mouse, I'm not too sure. Um, so today we're talking about internationalization. First, do you think you could provide your definition of what that is and um, what does that have to do with localization, which is something we discussed on our podcast already? So I'm going to say something that is unpopular. I'm going to say internationalization is something that almost no one cares about, but really big nerds like me. But if you don't internationalize, you can't localize. <laughs> so what yeah. does that mean? What does that mean? So look, if I have a product, let's say I have, I have this really cool app that will do your taxes and find you a date and figure out how, what to cook tonight and find the best babysitter, right? And I have this app and I, what language do you speak? Do you I speak, speak Korean and Chinese. You, okay. Do you speak Serbo Croatian? What the? Do you speak um, Guarani? No. Do you, I have the app in Polish. No. It's incredibly well internationalized, but I don't have it in Korean, English, or Chinese. So at oh. the end, you don't care, right? You don't care because it's not, it's not localized into your language. So at the end of the day, the customer only cares about localization. No matter how cool the internationalization is, eh, the customer doesn't care. We care because internationalization means that bug that, that was introduced when you tried to make it in French. Well, it's that bug exists in Spanish and Italian and German and Chinese and Japanese and Russian and Greek. But you, it'd be better to fix it upstream once than fix it everywhere. Or to make it modular so that you don't have to have memorized what's the date time format for France? Okay, I'll memorize it for France. Oh, wait, there's more than one kind of France. I mean, there's more than, wait, the Swiss do it differently. What's this septante nanon stuff? Oh no, I ran away. You know, like, <laughs> so, so cool all stuff was all set up so that you could just say, hey, give me the French version from France or give me the French version from North Africa. And it just did it for you. And that's what internationalization does. And so internationalization, in your words, is it something that is within the code that makes it so all the language are available? I would say it's even beyond the code. I, I'd say it's a, mm -hmm. it's kind of a philosophy. If you're doing internationalization at the same time, you're doing localization, you're doing it wrong. I would, I like to talk in metaphor. So speaking in metaphor, do you ski? 
I don't. Okay. Well, hopefully people will ski. You're hearing this? Will yes. Ski. I or or snowboard because I would say if you're doing if you're localized snowboard would be actually an even better a more a more picturesque metaphor. If you are localizing at the same time you're internationalizing, you're putting on your snowboard bindings while you're going down the hill. Ah. <laughs> right. Crazy. Right. The two the two tasks need to be done independently. Internationalization. You need to think about what you have to do, and then set it up, and then way later you localize it. Right. So ideally, internationalization is a kind of a, a fire, a fire and forget activity early on in the design phase and the early architecture phases. And then, you don't, unless you have a mistake, you don't think about it again because you did it right. And then at the end, you localize and you figure out what you did wrong and you fix that process. And, you, you know, that's the part of the iterative process you have to do. But internationalization is a beginning step. Localization is an end step. Users only care about localization. Oh, and internationalizers, if we're looking for allies to get stuff done, the other people who care about our stuff, 508 compliance people, people who care about the Americans with Disabilities Act. So the same hooks that allow software to text to speech and you know show keyboard shortcuts, that's the same stuff that we use to, to enable internationalization. So those are our corporate allies, as it were, the lawyers and, who care about that stuff, who say, no, you, have to, you want to sell this to the United States government? Well, you got to do this. And then here's the here's the other piece. People go, well, I'm not going to sell the U.S. government. Okay, well, that's cool. You're going to sell to the European government. You're going to sell to the Canadian government. How about the Chinese government? Okay, well, haha, still got to do it. And so you still have those those reasons to have it done on on a functionality level. Those same hooks still help us interna internationalization level. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you? Could you give an example of like when internationalization is done wrong? Like what, what would you see? What would a customer see on a website or oh, on an app? Examples. Yeah. So, so for instance, not naming any projects I may have worked on, <laughs> if you are in a, working on a product and you are on an operating system that's in English and you sit and it's one of those apps that senses your operating system language and shifts over. If you shift over, <laughs> over to Spanish and you suddenly get Bulgarian, well, there might be an issue. Oh. Really happen. <laughs> there might be a problem there that something, now that's probably a localization issue. But if you shift over, if you say, hey, I want to, I want French, right? And you say, I want Belgian French or Swiss French or whatever. And you know that localization exists, but you keep being served up the international French. So that would be an example of an internationalization failure. In the world of C sharp, you're you're getting the wrong ISO code, for instance. You're grabbing the the generic French version as opposed to the localized, the the, the regionalized French version, and that exists for all languages. So so you can serve up, you know, ISO codes are used up to serve are used to serve up, you know, English from the U.S., English from the U.K., Australia, Canada, whatever. Various flavors of Chinese. You can even figure out what version of Vulcan you want. I'm totally serious. No, the Unicode conference, like these are, these are my people. They're fellow nerds. So like, I'm sure they have like the Vulcan of the old generation, the Vulcan of oh the car, the Vulcan. And, <laughs> you're laughing. I, I, Klingon is done too. They did Klingon. They have all, all sorts of hieroglyphs. Um, I have a t-shirt around here that had all the higher, all the characters that were added the year I taught, uh, the year I gave my presentation. And I, there were some Egyptian hieroglyphs in there and I had, there's some Incan stuff in there. So you're not Incan, couldn't be Incan. They did ropes. It was another one of the other hieroglyph systems. Yeah, so there's all sorts of stuff. Well, that's wait, is that related to Unicode? Yes, like, exactly. All of that's encoded. Imagine if you didn't have to worry about that. You said, hey, computer, can I have what day Tuesday is in server creation? And it just served it up. 
So depending on the language you choose to do your work, that, that can be done for you. That freeing, freeing your coders of having to do all that stuff and then worrying about it and not understanding it and getting it wrong. And, you know, and then there's the cultural piece on top of that. But that's a whole nother issue. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> so that's what happens if internationalization is done wrong. But if it's done right, you wouldn't even notice. Internationalization mm-hmm. done right is like putting on a, a, a perfect glove that's a perfect fit. When you get, so when I started this process, internationalization wasn't a discipline. You just localized. Oh. And so, so legit. So, so, so then what happened? How did you? So my story is weird. I, as you can hear from my accent, I am a native speaker of, of Californian English. Yeah. My French is really good though. I'm a nerd. I'm, I, I imitate language. Anyway, so I was the French dude. And then the German dude left. And then the Spanish Italian lady left. And then I kind of got stuck with Swedish just because, because like, yeah. Uh, uh, well, you we were gathering having all these languages. No, 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 no. I didn't want to do this. No, 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 no. I didn't want the work. I, I, no, I'm, I, I, I like to I like to work, but I don't like to work that much. Um, but it wound up distilling to, I got one inheriting all six of the European languages because we were having a head short, a head countage problem and hiring the right people. This is right about the doc, about the time the dot-com bubble burst. Mm-hmm. And I was logged the same bug five or six times. And the developer's like, dude, you log that bug. I'm like, no, no, that's the Italian bug. It's just like the French bug. I know, I know it's the same thing. You have the, it's an underlying code problem, right? And so it's finally like, wait, why didn't we change it upstreams? So, so instead of hard coding this stuff, we adapt it. So it's it's adaptable. That's one of the things I do in a couple exercises. I have it, I have it spelled out, and the students go, but why'd you do that? I know that's a really dumb way to do it, huh? <laughs> It frustrates me every time. I'm like, wait, this is intentionally wrong. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, if you look at my version, there's comments in when I put the code, when I, for me, when I write code yeah. in class of make sure you screw this one up or write this line wrong and stuff. And so I have to make sure when I grab my notes, I grab the notes that for me, rather than the notes I submit for you guys, they put online. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry. Tricky, tricky professor. <laughs> wow. So let's see. You teach two classes that are pretty like major at Middlebury Institute, um, intro to programming and software. Wait, no, 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 three software internationalization and designing for internationalization and culture. I think between all of these classes, you really tried to hone in on the importance of internationalization to all the students. Um, Are there any like, I don't know, things in class or like over the years that you've taught that, you know, you would want to bring up and, you know, tell the localization community about. So the, yeah. my, my biggest things are like, you can do this. If you love this, do it. Most developers, most QE, if they, when they see it's me run, run, forest run, it's in four. No, seriously. Like I've worked with so many engineers. If it's not, even if they speak three or four languages, like as soon as the language they don't know, they want to run. So if you are, if, you, if this turns you on, this is your work. Like seriously, the God, God's spirit, energy, whatever you want to call it has called you <laughs> show up, man, <laughs> or woman or whoever, you know, because this yeah. is the work for you. Uh, another thing is if you are the kind of person who loves, lo- who loves learning languages, this is for you. Don't, you don't have to be a master in, in one. It's better to know a bunch because then you're always relevant, Right. If you only know one, you're only relevant when we're localizing for that language or internationalizing for that market. So let's say you're Spanish. Great. We're done with LATAM. Bye. 
So you never on the project, <laughs> you know. Um, so having a diverse a, a diverse set of languages, even if you suck at them, I mean, you've heard me talk Chinese, speaking Chinese. I, I'm awful, but like each one gives me a little bit so that I can go. Oh wait, you're talking about tones. I, I get that, or you know, talking about two, dual dual characters versus single characters. I get that, even if I can never remember how to pronounce that. That's important in our field. And then I would say being technical, not being like. I give you, I'm a nerd, <laughs> not being my level of technical, but being able to converse with the engineers. And, and that's a no brainer maybe to me, but, but let me spell it out. Our job is to translate words, right? Localization, but it's to translate concepts, internationalization, right? Cause that internationalization, I'm, I'm translating the concept of a date, right? Which has many formats. I'm translating the concept of currency which comes in many forms, or even the concept of a color. Cause you remember we talked about internationalizing colors. If you're not internationalizing your colors, like forget yeah, about it. Right. Enough years, you don't even know about it. Right. So these are all aspects that we do though. It's a translation aspect. And we know that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping all of everybody, everybody, everybody hearing me um, knows that from our experience with language, the more languages and cultures we understand, the better it is, right? Like we can, we can use, to, if I know your language better and your culture better, I can explain something to you that maybe we That's don't. Right. Well, yeah. what about the, the developers we're talking to? Like full stop. They speaking as, a, as somebody who develops as a computer science degree, right? Who, who teaches coding you know, in eight different, I, I, I claim eight coding languages, right? Um, three good, and then five, I'm horrible, but like uh, four, I'm horrible. Um, but like coders kind of do look at things differently. If you and talk about in my intro to programming class, we, get, we, we do get a big head because we can invent anything. We're taking in Python, taking a vocabulary of about or JavaScript vocabulary of about 50 words. We can write entire programs that create video games that, you know. So, yeah, it kind of goes to our head. We do look at the world a little bit differently. Coders hate ambiguity. You guys are amazing with ambiguity. So why don't understand a little bit of our world, the coding world, so that you can translate for us? Because ambiguity, if you're good with ambiguity, those of us who are bad at it are really bad at it. So you need to translate for us. We can't translate for you. And just like you're translating language, culture, concepts, formats, you're helping us translate. You say, hey, why don't you think about doing it this way? Or why don't you think about that's a that's a format that could vary by culture? Oh, my God, I, I wasn't trying to be ethnocentric. I just didn't think about it. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a common developer answer. Like <laughs> a buddy of mine, I gave I gave the talk from from design one, the the, the basically stand up. The one where I'm joking the whole time and I'm talking about car about bad car names. Yeah. So I gave that. I will, I will say it. <laughs> right. Exactly. All the bad card names. Yes. Right. It's like, I mean, right. so I gave that as a really quick talk before I left Adobe. And one of the engineers like, I had no idea how many misconceptions you could crush of mine so quickly. And that, cause that's what we should do. That is what our role, our contribution is. Hey, you didn't realize that they have a different calendar or you didn't realize that that use mixing English and Arabic is very normal in this part of the world. Or you didn't realize that bidirectionality is a thing and that Arabic is not just written in one direction. Oftentimes people don't mean to code wrong. They just didn't. It's a lack of imagination. So what I think we are particularly well suited for is imagining other people's perspectives and then mm -hmm. acting as a bridge between those worlds. We live in the interstices. So that's something that like comes up often when um, you talk about localization, working in like software development, like you got to be able to talk to with the developers, right? Talking their language. But I guess up until now, I never really understood what that meant. It, 
I, I always thought, okay, I need to learn how the vocabulary works in GitHub. I need to understand like all of this stuff. Um, but you made it more clear for me, like what I should be looking at, like being more specific in my language when I'm talking with developers. Not just specific, but understanding but, yeah. a different perspective. So, yeah. so I'm from a big family. Like I have engineers in my family. I have doctors in my family. Doctors too have a different perspective at looking at things, I think. You know, the power of life and death and just understanding biology and, you know, they look at things different. Engineers mm-hmm. do too. And understanding that, understanding like, again, I cannot speak enough about the the the, uh, the dislike of ambiguity. Because uh, think about it. As an engineer, Is it really that bad? No, yes. As an engineer, we're taught you have to have the answer, right? Computer yeah, science. Yeah. What it, or, no, is that a null variable? Did you clean out your registers? Are you sure your data is good? Right? We're conditioned to, to think about those things. Oh, got to make sure my end's good. So the same stuff that, that people from maybe um, social sciences are super happy with or literature yeah, it makes engineers super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as as linguists, as translators, as people who can see both sides of it, whatever it is, it falls to us to help them understand, hey. Or the other piece is they're brilliant. They don't understand that not everybody else is brilliant. Not, not everybody else is comfortable with math. <laughs> Classic. Not everybody else likes math, right? It's funny because, uh, like, it's funny because, like, a lot of linguists or, like, you know, people in the language fields are not interested in math. That's why they join language. (laughs) (laughs) So we're working side by side with each other. That's why I teach my intro to programming class the way I do specifically, because a lot of people are math phobic. But it's okay because we're, we are, we're better. Well, we, sorry, I'm I'm both sides of this fence. Sorry, I'm a little. (laughs) Yeah. Linguists are better at concepts and that's okay because we're symbolic. It's all harmony. It, all, it, it takes it takes a village, man. It takes a village. Mm-hmm. It takes globalization, which is the process of both. You know, it's localization plus internationalization. Sorry, wrong order. Internationalization always comes first. Yes, yes. <laughs> Go down that mountain right. I hate going down without my bindings on. <laughs> <laughs> going back to um, what you said earlier, like with developers, they have a different mindset. I'm wondering, you know, do you as a developer learn about internationalization nowadays, like encoding in schools? I don't know about, I, I, don't, I don't know about nowadays, honey. I'm an old, I'm an old man. But um, I will tell you that I worked on a project in the last five years with somebody who's recently out of college and really sharp, really sharp guy. He didn't know. He was really wanting to do the right thing and he really didn't know. So, and he went to a top school um, and he's a recent graduate and he didn't. Yeah. So there. So where are people say, learning about internationalization? They don't. You learn on the job, right? Like you do it and somebody says, oh, that's how you do it. And different companies do it differently. So, uh, you know, being in a field for so long, like what do you find fulfilling out of this career that you've made for yourself? What has been fulfilling has changed over time. I did not choose this field. I did not, I'll be honest, I was lazy. Like, no, I'm serious. I see the smirk. Um, you were a lazy coder? What, you do no, so many things? No, I, I was. Like, I, I wanted a job that was relatively easy. I went to QE, actually. I wasn't a coder. I was. I went to QE. I, 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 I would code, like, um, JavaScript harnesses, stuff like that, right? I, not production-level stuff. But I wanted an easy job and internationalization. I, I oh, I hear I speak I speak French. Okay, I, I'm not I'm not half bad in German. You know, my Spanish sucks. But okay, why? And I just got into it, 
okay, my French is good. Okay, yeah, I'll give you. But but still, like uh, it was fun to work on a, a product that I knew was making a difference in people's lives. And then I happened about that time I was I was able to use my skills to kind of solve problems for other people. And I really enjoyed that. That was that was when I first entered the field. And then knowing, hey, what? knowing that I was on the team that that did the first GB eighteen or thirty pass, like that just yeah. Or knowing that I was on the team that first brought uh, Photoshop to all over the world. Um, I wrote my thesis on bringing us to the Middle East. You know, I the reason I learned Russian was I was I spearheaded the efforts on what, what we used to call Central Europe, honey. Okay, what we now call Eastern Europe, right? So that's why I learned Russian. It was for work. My boss is, I want you to do this. I'm like, uh, what's the hardest language in the pack? I'm like, Hungarian or Russian? Um, I'll take Russian. <laughs> that's why I'm the Russian for the project, right? <laughs> right, but it's it's that kind of like, that's, and then, so I guess my middle years in the project or in software, I love that. I would be given new new challenges. Hey, how do we fix this? Um, I didn't work with with Lynn Shea on what she did with InDesign, but as soon as I heard about it, I was like, oh my God, Lynn, you're a goddess. And I, try, I tried as much as possible to copy her ideas uh, when we brought uh, Photoshop to the Middle East. You know, we, we were really lucky. We had some really good, very visionary PMs who thought about, hey, let's design for this thing called culture. Cause like, Maybe those people who are not part of the world might be different than us. And they like might have different attitudes and beliefs. So like, it's just not just, it's more than the language and even just the standards. Right. Which was a brilliant idea. Was that like a first time for you? Second time. Second time, <laughs> second time for time. you? Yeah, it was, no, well, okay. So I was not, it was second, first time for me, second, second time the, the company had done something like that. Cause they had, that's how InDesign came to life. InDesign did battle against uh Quark Express, which in 1998, nine over, Make sure I get the spiel right. In 1998, more than 95% of all desktop publishing was done by Quark Express. No one's ever heard of Quark Express because it was run on the ground because they wouldn't internationalize. Adobe was basically Adobe got their foothold by internationalizing the Japanese market and then Mm -hmm. using that to be seen as relevant and then getting taking over the European market and going everywhere else, right? Mm -hmm. So like (laughs) the second time they did that, right? Yay, that was bringing the Photoshop apps to the Middle East. It was 10, 10 suites did it. And you can, please don't read my thesis. It's horribly written. My I was going to ask you if I could read it. Well, okay, but don't hold the grammar against me because I got really mad. My advisor, he Frankensteined it on me. And I'm like, no, let me fix that. He's like, no, no, I proofread this. I'm like, it sounds awful. That's not how I talk. <laughs> and I, the grammar mistakes are him. I have another four. Yeah, oh, I, no. So it's it's yeah. online. It's, there's 133 pages. But um, the, the short, the, the, the quick and the dirty is 10 products went in. One and a half products came out right. We not all the other apps did a good job, uh, and our apps did. My app did a good job, but we could have done better. And to this day, I'm angry that every time I see a very specific bug, it's my team's fault. <laughs> every time, and it just happened. Let's see, New Jersey, New Jersey Health Center, their COVID ads in Arabic. It's all our fault. Uh-huh. Um, there was one, there was a, a Google just had a recent preview of some new technology and it was all Adobe's fault. <laughs> as soon as so, I saw the ads, I, I'm like, oh God, do you I like, didn't fix the bug. Do you like go into the, what is it? The chats and like bombard no. them with your- No, because no, I know these people. These are my, oh. some people came to my freaking wedding, right? Like <laughs> I know their kids. I saw their kids. Like I will say one time my, my three of my old professors from my Arabic studies per- degree they put a comment because they all got called out on this and they're like, Hey, David, what do you think? And so on Twitter, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) 
other than that, I do, I really try to duck out of that. I don't want to make my friends angry, even though they're screwing up. So that was um, your Adobe days. What fulfillment do you find now as a teacher? So, uh, so I'm actually getting going to get back into doing some contract work, but as a teacher, what I enjoy, I actually said it in class yesterday. It's that, Oh, when a student just gets it, you know, when she's like struggling to get the code, struggling to get the code. And then I understand what you mean by variables now. And, you know, like the synapses click. No, but like that look. So, so, you know, Sign language is one of my languages, so I'm, facial expressions are a thing for me, right? And so I cue in on people's body language. And so I really love that feeling of, I don't know, make, call, call it like empathy. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm Deanna Troy, but like just seeing people get that, that joy of figuring stuff out. I know I love solving puzzles and I love watching my students figure out how to solve code. And I love bringing code. I have a bunch of students right now who it's really kind of, kind of cool. Uh, they're not my normal students. And they're like, hey, we heard that you can teach anybody how to code. So um, have you seen the movie Ratatouille? I love it. It's one of my favorite Disney so, movies. You know the fat chef? Yes. So think of me as the fat chef, but as a coder, okay? Like anyone can, anyone can code. And I'd like to teach anyone to code. <laughs> and I'd like my, my internationalization students to have at least this background so that, that when, they, when they're in a kitchen, because they're not really, they're not cookers, right? When they're in the kitchen with the developers, they don't act like idiots. And honestly, <laughs> something as simple as, you could do that in the matrices. <laughs> can save so much time that really happened i'm not gonna tell that story uh. well i will tell you this so i mean I, I um mentioned it to you already but like over the summer so i took your intro to programming class and then over the summer i was working with software developers as their like localization liaison and we'd be talking about the code and some things like that inside of github um but really you gave me a good foundation of how to like just discuss with them the the jargon like oh you shouldn't concatenate this and we actually had like that kind of problem where um they concatenated uh like a link or something within the the actual code like the text the string and so i brought that up to them and they fixed it right so that was something that i learned in class and that was, you know, that was the moment when like things clicked in my brain. And I just wanted to say thank you. Like that actually, you know, you really taught me a lot. Thank, thank you for sharing that story. It makes that, that touches my heart. Thank you. I got to ask. So what was the reaction when you brought up concatenation is evil? <laughs> Honestly, it was kind of similar to what you were talking about before. Like the developer just didn't think about it. Right. Just didn't think about it. Right. Yeah. But then the you know, the senior developer who was a part of the internationalization team, he was like, oh, yeah, this is totally wrong. Let's not do that. And then he gave like a whole bunch of like documentation on what to do, like, you know, concatenation. Here's our like internationalization documentation, like read this. And I was like, wow, like I can actually learn from this, too. But it was a very simple conversation. Like it was resolved super easily, but they just didn't know. Right. That's, um, that's super, that is super common. So like, just, as I mentioned, I, I, I'm avoiding names and projects, so I don't get in trouble. Right. <laughs> but the, the person I worked with, he was very new and he was very well-trained, but he didn't, he didn't know this stuff. It was never monolingual American. He never thought about, wait, you mean word order? Wait, we, we, we're going to sound like Yoda. <laughs> I literally, that's the spiel, the spiel I did, I do in class. I started with him. 
to oh. to prove the point that that, that 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 those strings are actually harvested from some real code we were because oh yeah, I was trying to make the point. That's why I recolored the strings to show how you how word order changes and you, you have to split between you know with gender and everything in, in German. It's <laughs> how I, I was trying to to prove the point. Let's not re-engineer this. Let's just not concatenate. <laughs> Yeah, so definitely like what you teach in class is still happening in, you know, the workplace and or in, what would you say, in like actual code, right, in products. So we, we gotta, we gotta work on that. Oh, and you have new joys to deal with that I didn't have to face that challenges. So, so I mentioned GB1830, GB1830 is not being enforced. What is that actually? Uh, that's the 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 Chinese version of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Their version, though, is for internationalization. If you're going to sell a product in China, you have to meet it. Um, first team to ever to ever pass that. That's Debbie. A minus. Oh, sorry, bragging a little bit. <laughs> no, I didn't do the work. It wasn't me. It was Ivy. She was amazing. It wasn't me. Um, shout out to Ivy and Yuki Takahashi. Okay, there. All done. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, you have to meet that to sell in China. And right now it's only enforced for, for Mandarin Chinese, but at some point they're going to enforce the minority scripts. So how are you going to do Tibetan? I'm not sure. Maybe how are you going to do Mongolian? I guarantee you don't have an answer because I, I I've been working with the guys trying to figure it out and they don't have an answer. <laughs> so like really quick cool question you, about that. Like yeah, why yeah. is it so hard to get Mongolian script into Unicode or like, because it's different. It's different. So it's not, it's not so hard to do, but what's the encoding method that we can get the entire industry to standardize on? How are we going to digitize, not just left to right, but in this type, in this case, it's top to bottom, to top to bottom, right to left. So some scripts, you've heard of scripts that are, that are, are right, are top to bottom. Yeah. Right to left. This is top to bottom, right to left. But then at the end of the first uh, column, it then goes back up. So it's snakes instead. What the? Well, it's cool. I think it's actually really pretty, but like exactly. Oh. Think, think about if uh, if you remember my my lecture about the rules of Arabic justification versus Western. Yeah. Oh my God, you're in a strange new world now, right? Yeah. You know, you're laying it out horizontally. What, what, what are you doing, right? And so nobody's come up with standards. And then you have the problem between two governments saying, I don't need to do it my way. I want you to do it my way. And, 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 and kind of doing it like that too. And, and each going to different players saying, hey, would you help me? Cause I want, I want to do it my way for whatever political, economic, social reasons. And so no standards been made yet. Uh, sorry, as of the last, I, I, I ducked out of that conversation about two years ago, but as the last I heard, that's where it was. So, wow. so that's the standard you're gonna, there's no way China's gonna let 20 more years or 30 more years pass before saying, okay, time to enforce. Or other things like the 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 Bida algorithm just got updated from by Microsoft. I'm not sure where it stands, but I know that not all apps have it. And I know that, as I mentioned, like how the, how text is flows incorrectly through the Adobe apps. I see those bugs all the time. <laughs> My friends, through the, you know, Asuma, right? He sends them to me at least once a month, right? Uh, so, right, these are all bugs that have to be solved during your lifetime because at the same time, somebody's going to die because of them because the instructions won't be there. Well, they'll be in the wrong language or they'll be there, but they'll be rendered in a way that the user can't use them. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to be responsible for someone's death because I did a bad engineering job. Mm-hmm. And in full disclosure, I'm sure I was. I'm sure everybody I work with has been because um, if you listen to Adel Alawi's uh, presentation from 2013, 
2014 Unicode conference, might be 2014. He talks about the Arab Spring and he talks about how the fact that the Unicode, that the that the algorithm for rendering Arabic, the, the Baida algorithm that they used to use wasn't very good. And it actually distorted messages. And like, it, it, like the characters were wrong. Yeah. Well, so what happened is that between the strong and weak ordered characters, they would flip things. And the way they'd flip would, in one instance, and I have a slide for this, it's um, smiley face. The judges threatened to boycott. 2000 judges oh. threatened to boycott the referendum. Yes. But after, after this magic frowny face, the judges threatened to boycott the, the referendum. 2000 judges threatened to boycott the referendum. So yeah. became, a date became a number and it, and it sent this message of despair, which would have been a message of hope in a time when people were killing themselves to start political unrest. So like, yeah. for sure that caused much horror and, and sorrow in people's life. Cause an engineer who didn't know enough to care, I'm not saying the engineer was a bad person, but didn't know it's that awareness, that imagination that mm -hmm. my design isn't good enough. It's hurting people. So that's the human side that we need to keep in mind. And again, as the internationalization people were kind of the most human of the engineering team. So we are. We speak foreign. That's true. That's true. What is something that you'd like to impart with listeners of this podcast, many of whom are students of localization, people who maybe don't know enough about localization, maybe they're still learning about it. What would you like to say? Oh, wow. Um, well, you're making me sound like I'm a big, important person. I'm not. Yes, you are. But I'm not. So I'd say just like dig into it. Just try. Don't be afraid of trying this. Like, like, don't be afraid of learning another language. Uh, I, I actually, I, sorry, I got to say my, my advice would be lean into another language, whatever it is. Just even if it's a little bit, you've heard all my, my silly stories about learning Chinese recently. I'll tell you one when we're done. Um, but like everyone helps teach a little bit about how people who aren't like you see the world because language is codified, the most codified form of culture there is. And if you believe, you know, people like um, George Lakoff and Benjamin Worf, not the Klingon, um, then how the language we speak shapes our worldview. So if I understand your language, I can see your worldview and other people can't. And I might, and you, because of your worldview, you might see things that I don't see and you react to them. And I'm not seeing that you're seeing ghosts and stuff, but kind of you, you, the way you react to stuff, it's almost like you see ghosts. If I can see that too, I can help talk you through the ghosts or, or you can talk me through why they're scary and I could take them more seriously. And so I kind of look at it that from, from the, I mean, it sounds like it's very kumbaya, but I think that's the secret is looking at people's through other people's lenses. Cause that makes us do the work better. Right. If, even if I, I don't have to master Korean, but if I understand, Oh, Hey, if I'm forms of address, I need to know how old the person is, if they're older or younger than me, right? So I just keep that, that is now stored in my memory banks. I'm localizing a, a, a program, anything, and I'm going to address them in Korean. I need no relative ages. And then, oh, hey, I don't know this in Chinese. Well, I do now, but like, I'm going to expect, six months ago, I didn't know. Uh, I'm going to expect the same thing in Chinese. So it's kind of informed me. And I don't know Vietnamese at all yet. So but I'm without sight unseen, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be the same in Vietnamese, right? So they, it informs me, right? Each one helps fill in that infinite tapestry I can never fill in. But it makes me more comfortable too. So like, I, I hear students like, I gotta master my AB part. Nah, get good at your AB pair, but then like, are you gonna- Learn translate? about others. Yeah, learn about others. Cause unless you're gonna translate, don't be so deep that you can't be wide, yeah. says the fat guy. <laughs> that's a great way to end it <laughs> it is
<laughs> but I, I really, um, I really agree with your sentiments. Like, well, for me, like I, that was me, right? I wanted to be really deep in my A and B pair, like Korean and English. That was the only thing I was going to do. And then, and then I jumped into localization and I realized like, there's so much more that I could, that I should um, be learning about. And it helps me be a better citizen of the world, helps me learn more about other people and broaden and enrich my experiences. So yeah. That's the thing I love about internationalization. We're the cooler people on the team. (laughs) Really, seriously. Even if we're the nerdiest people who take (laughs) vacations, we usually have the coolest people on the team. (laughs) Okay. Because we we understand stuff and we're we're like, we're chameleons. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you so much for your time, David. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you.